Good morning, midday, afternoon, evening, nighttime, fellow travelers. Welcome to another book review. My name's Karen, and I'm going to be reviewing the book Gulliver's Travels for you today by Jonathan Swift. Now, this book is pretty old. It's getting close to 300 years. It was published in 1726. And for its time, it was a leader in a new genre and a new style, which was the the travel sort of book, a, a fictional travels, the I guess you'd call it sci-fi, not sci-fi, but the the fictional travels of of people going and doing to places that are unknown or just totally bizarre. You can sort of think of it in the same sort of lines as Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe, published within very, very similar timeframes of each other. Now, this book is satirical and very well known, even if you haven't particularly read it. And I believe that's because some of the scenes from it are just so iconic, so in the moment that they just transfer throughout history and they get put in other places. So, even if you particularly haven't read this book, you've probably heard some of the concepts from it. So, one of the very well-known ones is the the image of a man tied on a beach with ropes all over his body, tied down straight to the beach with little people on top of him. And this was the first of Gulliver's adventures into a new land. There's also a couple of other words in particular that from this book have entered into the the lexicon the public lexicon in of english obviously so one of these would be yahoo which is synonymous with a brute and this is because in his fourth and final adventure he comes to a land where there are human-like animals that are obviously I, like the lowest of the lows and essentially in terms of social status and what they actually are and they are mindless brutes they they don't have forethought and thinking and whatnot so there's four adventures in this book i'm going to try and pronounce some of the names the lilliputians which is where he goes to the land of the very small people i think he said it's about 142 uh, 142nd the size so about the size of your hand from the pinky to the thumb there he goes to the land of the giants the brog dog let me get this right Brobdingnags, Brobdingnags, Brobdingnaggins, something like that, where they are all giants. So, he's, it's sort of a reversal. He was in the land of all these tiny people. Then he goes to the land of all these giant people where he is himself the size of a person's hand. He then goes to the land of, I guess you'd call them ignorant people in a way, but they also have very technological skills. So, it's a floating island where he goes and he, he meets these people who take very long th- thoughts, they take a very long time to think and they have this amazing ability to control metals and, and create this floating island but they're also very ignorant of the lands and I guess social, political and human nature as well before finally going to the land of the, it's humans, humans? Something like that. They're, they're horses, which are very, very wise. This is also the land where they have these ape-like creatures, these human-like creatures called the yahoos or the yous, I think. And it's interesting, I suppose, he goes through these different lands and the reasons he gets to them are usually because of some shipwreck or failure. And each time he comes home and then is like, oh, I'm going to travel again. So, 
as far as the 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 plot of the book, it's it's quite long and numerous, and he goes to all these different places each time, learning something, and each time coming back home. Now, some of the themes from this book, I suppose the the main one is the contrasting perspectives and how that can be changed by your viewpoint. So, one of the things he notices when he's dealing with all these tiny little people, the Lilliputians, that they they seem like they're dolls. They're exquisitely small. Their movements are just as complicated as humans, but on a such a tiny scale that it's it, he he like idolizes them. He sees the beauty in, in what they're doing, but then he also recognizes, oh, they're 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 so tiny and insignificant. Their worries, their their political systems, whatever it is they're doing, it just seems so unimportant to him. Then when he goes to the land of the giants, he he goes and finds okay, oh they they actually look disgusting. Being close to one of the women, for example, all he notices the giant pock marks on their face, the acne, the the amount that they eat is an absurd amount, just makes him feel repulsed by it. And this occurs in the other lands as well. And it it just got me thinking. I guess we already know time and space is relative. So for example. If I viewed something in half the speed, say Elon Musk gets his shit together, Neuralink happens, and we then get the ability to process everything at double the speed, what would it look like if our reaction times were halved with our every, every sense heightened to the sense that we get double the information? Would that seem like time has sped up twice? Would we be able to handle it or would it just become the new normal? Another one would be, astronauts going into space and looking at the earth and when the earth is this size in front of you the size of your fist in front of you that would create a very different aspect for you as an individual and then also for humanity as a whole say everyone got that experience to go see the earth as the size of a fist how would that change our perspective on life now i already saw this in another book called food of the gods and this was a fictional work where basically there was this food and the people could become giants. And so there was these kids who grew up to be 40 feet tall, very similar to the size uh, that's described in Gulliver's Travels. And we can see all the, the massive rapid social changes that happened because of that. Now, obviously, this isn't particularly applicable to our actual reality because there are if you read the book scale by jeffrey west you'll find there are reasons why humans would would not be able to get to the size of a godzilla for example and why godzilla wouldn't be able to actually walk because the weight of his whole whole upper body his legs and the mechanics of the bones and whatnot just would not be able to withstand that weight so it's interesting and i i guess it just made made me thought of okay there's what what would be the next big thing that really changes our minds, that really changes how we view humans view other humans in total? I think the the internet has had a very big one on that. And what would be the next big one? It's it's fun to play around and have a guess. Me personally, I think it'll be something to do with virtual reality and consciousness inside of virtual reality. I think that's gonna have a very, very big change when people start connecting and able are able to do things in a different world like that where we can alter our surroundings essentially and our visual inputs and whatnot, I think that's going to have some very big changes. 
Another theme from the book was the there's no form of government that will ever be perfect because all of them are made up of humans and humans are a equal mixture of nasty, brutish and cruel, but also compassionate, loving and kind. And he goes in the book and sees all these different lands and goes, okay, I'm I'm like I'm seeing these different governments, these forms of government, some such as the the last one with the the horse the very wise horses they don't have a particular particular leadership style but he also notices that things don't really get done and it's hard to organize whereas some of the others which are very matriarch not matriarchal I should say monarchical where there is a very strict form of the king and then his I guess ser- direct servants under that the princes and and the the royalty and then it, it all filters down and i think one one of the things that was jonathan swift was saying in this book is okay you're never going to find a perfect set of government just because humans are the way they are but what you can find in every land is a a person an individual who is a shining light which that individual is is what makes humanity worth it in a sense and he, he, he basically every time he goes to a different land, he'll find a host or someone who looks after him. Who is that shining light? Who is that that beacon in the, in the darkness of the, I guess, random nastiness of all these both humans and of the, the creatures and other communities that he meets, which leads on to misanthropy. So, right at the end of the book, Gulliver goes into a depression where he lives in this land of these just superior human beings, their ethics, their morals, everything about them is just at such a high level. There is none of the emotional baggage that basically every human carries and feels and acts upon as well. So, he goes into a misanthropic state of mind and I didn't really remember what this was, this word in particular was, which is a dislike of humankind. And it got me thinking, is there actually any utility in a position such as that if if someone is super misanthropic, is that providing a benefit to any humanity at all or is it always going to be a negative? Which is essentially asking, there can be negative people and naysayers and things like that and you need them sometimes. You need someone to say, to call you on your bullshit and say, no, this isn't any good. What are you doing? This is useless. And Potentially, you could sort of see this maybe if it was a, a a person who cared very strongly about the environment and saw what humans are doing to it to such an extent that they said, humans, are, I hate every human basically because every human is a is degrading the environment, is making it worse. Now, does that position have a, a utility? It's hard to say because for one, it's it seems like a direct attack on all of us and nobody likes to feel like that, like you're, there's no chance of redemption, which means, and if there's a chance of redemption, it means that we've got to have some good inside of us somewhere. So, me personally, I, I, don't, I don't think that misanthropy is, is, well, one, a practical way in the way to live in the world. I think you're always just going to be depressed because humans are social creatures. We need other humans. So, if you're misanthropic, it's not like you can just go out into the woods and live there for the rest of your life and be all fine. No, you're going to have to deal with other humans at some point, which means you're going to be in a negative state of mind because you're going to have to deal with people who you hate. So, and then I guess you'd be hating yourself as well, which is an almost impossible way to live. So, 
just a, a thing that came up in the book that made me sort of ponder a little bit and go, hmm, well, that's interesting. Now, my own personal observations from the book, specific satire does not age well. So, one of the things Jonathan Swift was writing about was it was almost like an attack on some of his political opponents of the time. And this book wasn't written as a standalone book. It was almost like a promotional pamphlet, so to speak, for himself and for some of the problems that were going on in the, I think it was Ireland, the Irish government at the time. And it's just, it's just so outdated. The, the people, it's not even like it was 100 years ago, 300 years ago. The, the whole systems have changed. These people are just, you'd, you'd need to have a huge, huge backstory and understanding of that particular time to even get the references that he's talking about here and then appreciate them. So, specific satire doesn't particularly age well, but I think one of the reasons this book has continued to be a mainstay is that the it, it goes beyond the satire. It's not just about the the particular government and people of his time. It also talks about humanity in general. So, we can learn something from it. Now, the original names or his creation of original names for the book is very interesting, but... And it, it's great. I, I, I like that he went to the effort and created something new and didn't just add a little twist to something already that existed. But if it's to let, enter the public lexicon or everyday speech, it's it needs to be shorter. It needs to be short and simple. And one of the problems with his names are Lilliputians, the Brogdignags. It's just very hard to say and also... It's, it's like four or five syllables. You're just not going to remember it. I read the book and I can't even remember the names. So, just got me thinking if I was ever to create something that I potentially wanted to last for a long time, I'd probably, yeah, I'd have to really think about something short, sweet and simple. Language is also a funny beast as well. And the book is hard to read in some sense in that Many words are capitalized, for example, and there's just another one of those crazy English language things where like the book The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, it is just so long. They use a sentence that'll go for what would be almost two paragraphs in how we write nowadays. And it's very similar with, with this book where it's like every 10th word is capitalized and most of those are nouns, but sometimes not even nouns are capitalized. It's just a very strange style. You, you'd think it wouldn't affect you much, but as you're reading it, it, it gets old after a bit. It's just like, mm, I'm, I'm not enjoying this. The other thing is a lot of the definitions of words have changed over the time. So, particularly for this book, you'll need to have something in the end to refer to and look at the footnotes because some of the words just completely change. And, and if you read it just straight up, you'd really struggle with it. So, in summary, it was interesting. I enjoyed it, but I found it more thought-provoking in, in hindsight. The actual reading experience of it with the different words, with the names of the characters, with just something about it was dampened and outdated as well with the satirical style. So, whilst enjoyable, I didn't find it enjoyable in the moment. So, overall, I'm going to give Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift a 5 out of 10. What's something pragmatic I'm going to take from the book? Well, I think the 
he he got one thing right, which was the individuals, shining individuals in your everyday life, in in systems, in wherever it is. And for me personally, I thought, you know what, that's awesome. I should try and keep a a more heightened awareness or look out for those sorts of people in my everyday life. I plan on actually trying to get out more nowadays and create more connections and network, but without the without the working part. And I I feel I should try and look out for those individuals. And then once I see them, make the effort, make the time, make myself available to connect with them. So that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Please, if you're listening on iTunes, it'd be awesome if you could leave us a review. Do it really quickly. Thank you. And that's it for today. Karen out.